depart from evil and do good. So you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. For they are preserved forever. But the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. And his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. Yet the Lord will not leave him in his hand or let him be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. And when the wicked are cut off, you will see it. God establishes in justice and in righteousness those who are his. So for us as God's children, we are to practice justice and righteousness. In all things, we are to walk in that truth because God says in his promise that he will establish our ways when they're established upon his word. What greater way to walk than to walk as Jesus walked? First John 2, 6, the apostle John reminded us, those who name the name of Christ ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Are we walking that way? Are we walking in truth and in righteousness and in justice? Or are we walking in the way of the wicked? Are we despising the word of God or are we being built up upon it? Are we hiding it in our hearts so that we may not sin against him? Turn to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 49. Uh, yeah, Isaiah 49. There's a lot of promises that establish this, but we're just going to look at a couple in the Old Testament and a couple in the New to continue to show the continuity of the two Testaments. But Isaiah 49, verses 14 through 16 But Zion has said, the Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. And then God asks this great question, and I love the imagery. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Yet, even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God has established us and has secured us in his hands. And there's no greater place to be. Well, let's look at that. Go to the book of John. The Gospel of John. Now, I know all of us can quote John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave not his only son, but whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that was established upon a promise that those who believe in Christ would have everlasting life. There's security in those statements. But in the book of John, jump down to verse 36 of the third chapter. Jesus also says this, For he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, did we catch that? It says, but he who does not obey the Son. Now, why would he say that instead of just believe? Because we know that in belief, you will walk in obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Obedience is an outpouring of what the inward change has already happened. If you have a heart change and God has changed you into the image of Christ, you will have a heart to obey and a heart to love the Lord and all his word. Because we know that God's word is good. We know that God's word is true. We know that it's faithful. We know that it will build us up. We know that it's a high tower and a security for us. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, 
by Satan. What did he do? He went back to the Word of God every time he gave an answer. Why do we do less than that? Why do we seek to walk in our own wisdom and I got this, I know the answer, and yet we turn away from the wisdom of God and the example that Christ laid down. When Satan tempted Christ, he used the Word of God. The very words that are in this book are the same words God used to speak creation into existence. There is power in the Word of God. Power enough to change a broken life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. 1 John 2, verse 25 says this. These things... Oh, yeah. These things... Oh, this is the promise which He made himself to us eternal life if it's eternal it's unending if you have eternal life it does not end because it does not depend on us but it depends on god's promise that establishes it that's the first point our second point is god's purposes assure our salvation because god has purposed in his heart and in his mind since before the foundation of the world that salvation would come through christ and christ alone God didn't have a knee-jerk reaction to sin that, oh, man screwed up, now i got to come up with a new plan. Christ was always established before an eternity passed that he would come and that he would die on our behalf, that he would shed his holy blood and his righteous blood as an atonement for our sins because all of us are depraved. All of us do not keep the Word of God perfectly. None of us can. If we could, there would be no need for Christ. But we've all fallen short. Salvation doesn't happen without repentance. Salvation is not a word fitly spoken. It's not a Jesus come into my heart and I keep walking my own way. No, it has to start with repentance. Because without accepting the fact that you're a sinner, you have no need of grace. You have no need of salvation. Because if I don't have a sin problem, I don't have a salvation problem. You can't be saved from something that you don't have. But the Bible is clear that all of us walk in sin. All of us were enemies of God at one time or another. But God, through Christ Jesus, gave us a way out. He gave us salvation through His blood because His blood atoned for our sins. It made up perfectly what we lack. The Apostle Paul put it this way, that God's promises and purposes assure it. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans is a phenomenal book. I could sit in Romans for years, but we're just going to sit on a couple verses for a couple minutes. But Romans chapter 8. And a lot of us are very familiar with Romans 8.28, right? Yeah, Romans 8.28. But a lot of us forget and we stop there and we don't continue reading because there's a great continuity between 28, 29, and 30. And that's what we're going to look at this morning because in those three verses, God shows us that his work doesn't stop. Okay? Verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So if we've been called according to his purpose, what does that look like? Well, Paul answers that in verses 29 and 30. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, why? So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So do you see the process there? So it's not a process of 
God brings you to the point of salvation, he brings you to that point of being called in Christ and coming up in salvation, and he doesn't say, and then you might lose your salvation, or then you might stumble and fall away, and then you might do this or that. No. He proceeds from you are called, you are justified, you are sanctified, and then you are glorified. There's not a break in God's process. When we are called and justified in Christ, Christ's blood justifies us before the Father that we can be acceptable in God's sight. And then His blood and His Spirit lives in us and works in us sanctification. It's that process of maturing in Christ. Again, go back to the illustration I used years ago. It's bringing people from the left to the right, from immaturity to maturity. And we're all on that timeline somewhere. Some of us are still immature in Christ. Some of us are in the middle. Some of us are moving on this way. And then we go to glorification. Whether it's when we die or whether when Christ comes back and we all go home together, whenever that happens, that's when we become glorified. But that process isn't broke in the interim because God assures it in his purpose. So we're going to look at two verses really quick to explain the why behind that. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says this. Where you're at, I'll read it. Philippians 1, verse 6. My fingers can get there. Philippians 1, 6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Again, there's that confidence that we have because God said it, it's going to happen. So often where we end up faltering and failing and falling into sin is when we forget the promises of God. When we forget the promise that God will accomplish exactly what he said in our lives. And then Romans eleven twenty nine, Paul says, For the gifts of God and his calling are irrevocable. Do we understand what that means? Irrevocable. Meaning you can't do away with it. You can't get rid of it. You can't lose it. That's what God says. Thirdly, God's power guarantees it. God's power guarantees it. The Apostle John said, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We find that in 1 John 4. But in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus had something to say about this, about God's power. John 10, verses 27 through 29, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And here it is. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Why? Because of God's power, right? My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. We have that sure security in Christ because God is greater than all. Therefore, we do not need to worry about losing our salvation. How many of you guys like the book of Jude? Yeah, the book of Jude's great, right? Easy read. If you don't like to read a lot of chapters, it's one chapter. But Jude gives us a beautiful glimpse into some great truths. And in verse 24, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. Right? He is able. There's not a question of it. There's not a, maybe he can do it. Maybe he can't. It is a sure and a guaranteed thing. And because of this, we do not need to worry about our salvation. But God gives us the admonition that you are to work it out with fear and trembling. Meaning, understand the fact that in your flesh you are weak. 
And when you trust in your flesh, you will fall. When you trust in your flesh, what's up, Edward? When you trust in your flesh, Christ says you will stumble. You're welcome. But when we depend on the Spirit, we have strength. Because we're trusting in God to do the work and not our own. Fourthly, God's grace is the hinge of His promises. Because God has given grace, which we remember what grace is. There's grace and there's mercy, right? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And because of God's grace, that hinges all His promises. Ephesians 2. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians 2 with me this morning. The book of Ephesians is a great, great book. But Ephesians 2 prefaces this understanding. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Understanding that grace is getting what we do not deserve. And why don't we deserve it? Because we're sinners. We're enemies of God. That's what the Scripture tells us. But when we come into Christ, we are no longer enemies because we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son, right? Colossians 1. Well, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Again, that word through is a great Greek word, and it means the channel of an act, right? So like an aqueduct, you have water that flows down. That's the channel that it flows down. Well, that's what it's saying. Is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, salvation isn't anything that we've done and we've earned. It is given. It is a gift of God. That which is a gift you cannot buy. It is given freely. We just need to accept it. But God's power guarantees the perseverance of the saints. We can have strength and confidence, and that is the hinge. So again, people who say that we can lose our salvation contradict the Word of God. Because God doesn't lie, and He says it's not dependent on you, but I will hold you in my hand and not lose you. Well, if God says that, how can you lose it? You can't. And that's where you can have confidence. The perseverance of the saints is a great theological truth for the fact of you are secure in Christ. From eternity past to eternity future, you have been secured in Christ. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Because we're going to look at a dichotomy of this truth that is just a great truth. Because there's always two sides of the same coin, right? And that's what we're going to look at. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So we have these great promises. Now here's the dichotomy of our faith. Who are protected by the power of God. That word protected is a great duality. It has two meanings to it. The first meaning is what we expect, right? To be protected, right? Well, what do we mean to be protected? Well, we're protected from exterior attacks, right? So in Christ, we have protection. But the word also has another meaning to it. And this is the flip side of the coin, and it's actually the Greek word furio. And it means to be kept from leaving. So why? Why do we, who have been saved in Christ, need to be kept from leaving? Well, because in our flesh, we're going to walk away from Christ. If our salvation was up to us, nobody would be saved. 
That's the point of the Scripture. That's the point of the Gospel. That's the glorious grace of the Gospel. Because we don't need to count on ourselves. Because one, we can't keep the law of God. We can't justify ourselves. And two, we'll never keep the gift that's been given unless we are kept in Christ. Wayne Grudem said that both kinds of guarding here are intended. God is preserving his faithful from escaping out of his kingdom and preserving them from exterior attacks. The beautiful truth is God continues to preserve his people and keep them his. And he also keeps us from at- safe from attacks. Now, does that mean we're going to have an easy life? Absolutely not. Why? Because sin is still in this world. But thanks be to God, in Christ, we stand confident. And we have our confidence in Christ. Faith is the means that God uses to protect his people. Faith is a vehicle, right? We all know how to get in a vehicle and we drive down the road. You go somewhere in it. Well, faith is our vehicle that God uses to protect us. It is through faith in Christ and in God's word and in believing God's word and living God's word out and in obedience that we find our faith is acting out our belief. Right? The Apostle James says, show me your faith without works. He said he was really sarcastic when he said that too. show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Why? Not because it's works based, but because what you believe is how you live. If you believe the scripture, you obey the scripture. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. If you believe the word of God, you will live out the truths of God's word. Now, are we going to live it out perfectly? No. Why? Because all of us, at least like me, are sinners. And I stumble and I fall. But by God's grace, I get up and I keep moving on. And by God's grace, I hopefully sin less. Not that I'll ever reach perfection, but Lord willing, I'll have to stop repenting more and more every day. Hopefully I'll learn to obey God's word perfectly. In heaven, yes. Here, never. Why? Because we're still in our flesh and our flesh is weak. That was the whole point of the Apostle Paul's discussion. I find myself doing the things that I don't want to do. But the things that I want to do, I don't find myself doing. Why? Because my flesh is weak, but the spirit is strong. Fifthly, God calls us and gives us an exhortation to persevere. If God calls you to do something, he will equip you to do it. That's saying that I go back to God calls the equipped. I mean, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called, right? If we all had everything we needed for God to say, oh, I need that man. Well, that goes against Scripture. Again, there is nothing good in us except for what God has put there. And God calls us to be faithful. He calls us to perseverance, to work out our faith with fear and trembling. Again, it's the understanding that God is holy and we are not. And we are to reverence him as holy. We're not to put him in a box that's comfortable to pick up and take it off the shelf and say, okay, I like this aspect of God and I like this one, but I don't like these. No, because holiness is not comfortable because it exposes the sin in our hearts. When David prayed and asked God to search me and try me, oh God, right? Mark, that's your favorite verse. Search and try me, right? Why? So that I understand is the heart of man is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? Scripture, right? God knows it. And when you pray, God, reveal to me my heart. Be ready to not be happy with what you see. Because God will, God will show you what's there. And it's not easy to deal with it. Why? Because none of us like to fail. None of us know that we're in the wrong. All of us like to be encouraged. But 
the encouragement is, is that we're not illegitimate children, as Hebrews says. God disciplines those who are his. And if we see that we have a fault and a failure and God points it out, praise God that he does. Because now I know how I need to move away from that. Right? God called Job blameless and pure. Why? Because he feared God and hated evil. Do we do that? Do we fear God in our hearts and do we hate evil? Do we move away from it? Do we put it away? That's what we need to answer. But God equips those whom he calls. Jesus kept saying over and over, he who endures to the end shall be saved. We have been become partners with Christ if we continue on in the faith. That's what the book of Hebrews says. The Old Testament, New Testament book. One of my favorites. But we're going to make a one point in Colossians. Colossians in the first chapter. Paul had this to say about our perseverance. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he, speaking of Christ, has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through his death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, not moving away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Read the book of Acts. The man Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas continued to encourage the saints to continue in the faith. Why? Because we are called to persevere. And the only reason we're called to persevere is because God has given us the power to persevere in Christ. But what about those who said they fall away? Well, it falls under what Christ said. He gave us a great example. Remember the sower sowing the seed? Some people spring up and are on rocky soil and they have no depth of root. And they looks like they take salvation and they're excited and they're all on fire for the Lord. And then they walk away and you're like, whoa, what happened? Did they lose their salvation? No. The Apostle John says they were never of us. That's why they went out from us. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. We know that. Scripture tells us that. There are apostates, false teachers. They look like they're of the faith, but yet they're not. But Christ said, in all things, we will know them by their fruit. Do you produce fruit? Is your fruit good? How many people know the Pilgrim's Progress? If you've never read it, read it. It's a great book. If you haven't read it, there's a movie out. It's really good. But to prove this and to, to discuss this, so if you guys don't know, the Bible is the number one selling book in all of history, right? You know the second one? It's right here. Pilgrim's Progress is the second most sold book in the world after the Bible. But in here, we have the great truth. Oop, wrong page. 65, 66. So we have the great truth of Christian's walk. And we know that Christian moves along in his, in his walk, in his faith, from the beginning towards the end, to where he comes into glory. But on that faith, he meets a lot of interesting characters, a lot of interesting people. But we see here in chapter, well, in, on page 65 that Christian meets up with some men. And it says, now here, Christian, uh, I saw them in my dream that when Christian got to the borders of the shadow of death, there met him two men, children of them that had brought up an evil report of the good land, making haste to go back to whom Christian spake as follows. So Christian has moved along quite far in his walk of faith at this point. 
He's already battled Apollyon. He's already moved out and kept going. But he's come to the valley of the shadow of death. And men are running away from it saying, go back, go back. We were on the journey like you, but go back. Turn away, right? He says, whither are you going? And, they, and these men said, go back, go back. And we would have you do the, the same also. For if either life or peace is prized by you. Why? What is the matter, said Christian? Matter, they said. We are going that way as you are now going. And went as far as we durst. And indeed, we were almost past coming back. For had we gone a little farther, we would not be here to bring you the news. Christian says, but what have you met with? Why, we were almost in the valley of the shadow of death. But that by good hap, we looked before us and we saw the danger before we came unto it. But what did you see, said Christian? Seen why the valley itself, it is full of pitch darkness. We also saw their hobgoblins and satyrs and dragons of the pit. We also heard in that valley a continual howling and yelling as those of a people under in unutterable misery who sat there hangs the discouragement of clouds of confusion. Death is also always spread its wings over the place. And in a word, it is every whit dreadful being utterly without order. Then said Christian, I perceive not yet by what you have said, but that is my way to the desired haven. Be it thy way, we will not choose it for ourselves. So they departed and Christian went on his way. How many times have we in life found people that try to talk you out of your faith? You don't want to go down that way. Look at the book of Job. Again, you guys know I love Job. Job's my favorite book of the Bible. Job's even, his own wife said, curse God and die. Job went through more misery than any of us probably will in our lifetime. By God's grace, I pray that's true. Job lost his children. He lost his health. He lost his fortune. He lost his servants. He lost everything. And what did Job do? He laid in the dust and said, blessed is the Lord God. Naked I came from the womb and naked I shall return. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job understood that God's grace doesn't always mean that it's going to be good. But he always knew that God would always hold him in his hand and bring him through that. Don't listen to the lie of you don't want to go that way. And our evidence, it is those who keep the commandments of God. Again, going back to the Gospels, going back to Christ's words, if you love me, you will obey me. So these men are blessed because of how they lived, because of the perseverance of the saints, because they keep the commandments of God, which is what verse 12 says, and their faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith marks us out as being in Christ. It is a mark of the faithful. It is a loyalty despite death's taunts, right? We just got finished reading about the false prophet and the Antichrist and how they're going to destroy anybody that doesn't worship the image of the beast. Faced with death, where do you stand? Do you stand with Christ? Or do you walk in intimidation and fear and say, nope? Do people know where you stand? The people around you, do they know what you believe? So why are the dead faithful believers blessed because of how they lived they lived pure noble purposeful obedient lives full of the deep richness of joy which was the beyond reproach with a clean conscience before both god and men do you have that do i have that 
Do we walk with a clean conscience before God and man? Secondly, they were blessed because of how they died. Verse 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. Jonathan MacArthur said, Having lived with perseverance, the tribulation saints will die with promise. Do you know that this life is as good as it gets for those who don't believe in Christ? But it's the worst it ever gets for those who believe in Christ. Again, this is the only hell Christians ever know. This is the only heaven unbelievers will ever know. And it's a sad truth. Look at the world around us. It's not a friendly, inviting place. Right? People get sick. People go through horrible things. And if that's as good as it gets, what did Paul say? Woe to me if Christ is not who he is. Right? Because if this is as good as it gets, this is the sixth time we've heard that John has heard a voice from heaven Three more are yet to come later on in Revelation. And yet, in Revelation, John is commanded 12 times to write something. And this truth God is trying to pass on to us is the understanding of why are the dead blessed. One, because of how they lived, but two, because of how they died. Back in chapter 2, we've seen Antipas was killed for his faith. He was blessed in the Lord. We've seen the martyrs underneath the altar in chapter 6. They were blessed for how they died. Chapter 7, we saw the great multitude of the tribulation saints that came out of the tribulation worshiping before God. They were blessed how they died. Why? Because they found their completeness in Christ and perfection in Christ. Because they had God's blessing on their life. Because they died worthy. What did Jesus say? Blessed are you if you're persecuted. Blessed are you if people revile you. Blessed are you if people hate you. Why? Because they hated Christ. Why would they hate you any less? And why? Because when you are cursed for Christ, you are showing that you are living as Christ. Because people aren't going to say, oh, they're not going to curse you for being a Christian if they don't see you living as a Christian. But blessed are you who die in the Lord. Blessed because they are not only living in victory and perseverance here on earth, but when they die, they die in Christ victorious. Psalm 116.15 had this to say, Psalm 116 and verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. That is a promise. Why? Because when we pass out of this world into the next, we are no longer hindered by our flesh and our sin. We can worship God without the hindrance of sin. We can worship him perfectly. We can obey perfectly. And that is the great hope that we have in Christ. Paul and his lengthy message to the Corinthian church often spoke about the joy of our salvation and in chapter 15 speaking of the resurrection he says this O death where is your sting O death where is your victory death no longer has mastery over those who are in Christ why because Christ defeated death at the cross when he rose again from the dead no longer does death have its chains hooked upon us who are in Christ we have victory we have life in Christ, and that is what we need. This is the first time of two that the Holy Spirit is actually quoted in the book of Revelation. The Holy Spirit actually speaking, and he says, Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors. 
for indeed their deeds follow with them. And that word labors is kopos in the Greek. And it means a difficult, exhausting, long toil full of bitterness and annoyance and trouble. How many of us can say we've experienced that in life? Yeah, right? Life isn't easy. If it was, everybody do it well. Life is difficult. But at this time in history, as Jesus stated in Matthew 24, the world will never know greater, uh, greater trials than during this time. And yet, even in this time, you have God's grace and God's promises giving guarantee to the perseverance of the saints, to those who come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in their perspective, even though our days sometimes get difficult and life gets hard, we can still walk in the promise that we have perseverance in this life, that we can walk victorious in Christ. We don't need to wonder, can we do it? God has said what we can. We just need to obey. And the understanding here that he says, for their deeds will follow with them, that word is erga in the Greek, and it means your service to the Lord. Your service to the Lord here will follow with you when you die. Because we know that, as we read in First Peter and other places in Scripture, God has guaranteed those that he will try your works and find out if there are other hay, wood, and stubble, which will burn up and we're worthless, or gold, silver, and precious stones. What do we have? What are our works made up of? Because they're either going to be enduring and lasting, or they're going to burn up and be worthless. How do we live? Because in the end, God will reward those who lived a good life in obedience to the Word. Not good life and I'm just a good person, but good life in obedience to the fullness of the Scripture and following after the Lord. So let's look at this. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. Hebrews 6 and verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name in having ministered and in continuing ministering to the saints. God does not forget like we do. God remembers and God rewards. 2 Timothy 4, 7. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says this, For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with a g- attitude of grace. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading 1 Timothy. I was like, that didn't sound right. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. For I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. And in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. With the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearance. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul finished with this. Verses 12 through 14, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of him who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which we things we speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but by those things taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And in that promise, having the mind of Christ, we can walk 
in faithfulness to the Word of God. Obedience breeds trust. Rest, we gain our reward, which contrasts us to the wicked. For we read last week, or two weeks ago, if we go up in verse 11, that those who worship the beast will never have rest. They will never find rest in their eternal place of condemnation and judgment. But for those who are in Christ, we will find perfect peace and rest. And that's the hope we continue to walk towards. But every person has to do with Christ. Every person has to answer for what he does with Christ. Nobody gets out of that. We will all answer before Christ what we did with him. Whether we believed or whether we didn't. And in that is our responsibility to preach the gospel. Every day. All day. To everyone we come in contact with. Because that is the hope that we have in Christ. Is the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to get into your word this morning and to see that in Christ we find we have perseverance, that we have surety, that we are able to stand because you make us stand. And Father, we just ask that you will continue to refine our lives that they may reflect Christ more every day, that we can live and walk in truth and in confidence because in Christ we are already victorious. Because we don't need to worry about what we do with it in the sense of we hold our salvation or we can't. But it's secure in Christ. That we can rest in the fact that when Christ sat down at your right hand, he said it is finished on the cross. There's nothing left for him to accomplish. And in that we can rest assured that in Christ it is finished. We can walk victorious and in confidence in the word because you are true and you are faithful. Lord, we just ask your blessing upon your word this morning that it would continue to refine us more into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.